peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself about three deep breaths to be settled into this place, to be held by the Spirit and this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Praise God who grants us our strengths. Praise God Praise God who is present at the heart of every moment. Praise God. And our hymn is number 402, How Lovely, Lord.
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be worshiping with you today. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. I invite those of you sitting here in the center aisle during the offering to sign the pew pad, pass it down the aisle, pass it back. It's a great way to learn the names of people sitting near you. If you're visiting, it's a great way for us to be in touch with you. Let's join together now in the community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Great giving God, thank you for the particular blessings each of us enjoys, our gifts, our interests, and our passions. Forgive us when we take these for granted or dwell on our own weaknesses, somehow as personal failures. Forgive us as well for overlooking the gifts of others, or for taking advantage of their weaknesses for gain. May our weaknesses be a portal for interconnectedness to enter in, and for grace to take root. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Whether you hear a loud voice from the heavens or perhaps a still small voice in your heart, listen carefully for the love of God. May we all know God's unconditional love. May we all live in God's forgiveness and freedom. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children worshiping with us to come join Jeff here at the front. So, I want to tell you about a trip we just took with some of our middle schoolers. One day you'll get to go on this trip. We did so many things in a week. We were pretty tired at the end, but we got to do a lot of really cool stuff. And we wanted to learn about God's love for us and how we can help other people know that they're loved too by God. So we did a lot of fun things, like we went to West Cliff Drive, part of Santa Cruz, California. There's beautiful sunsets, beautiful houses, and we passed out roses to all kinds of different people and asked them what they thought love was. That was we heard a lot of different answers, a lot of interesting things, and then we broke up into three different groups, and we went to three different places. Some of us got to go to a kitchen where they serve 150 people a day lunch. A lot of people who just don't have food. And so that meant that we were cutting and cleaning and slicing and cooking and we were doing all kinds of things and greeting people with a happy face. There was another group that went to a place called the Boys and Girls Club. Are you going to camp? Are any of you going to any camps this summer? Yeah. Well, to put it, so a lot of the kids that come to this camp, their families can't afford normal camps. Or I don't want to say normal camps. They can't afford the camps that you go to. Because most of the camps that you go to cost $300 a week or more, $400 a week or more. Their camp costs $600 for the entire summer. So they get free meals, they get a lot of help and care. And it's over 100 kids playing in one place. Which sounds like a lot of fun, unless you're one of the six people who work there. <laughs> so they were very happy to have our help. So we got to play dodgeball with them and basketball and do arts and crafts and play with the kids there. And then another group of us went to work on a farm. And that was really fun because we got to work with people who don't have homes, but they work on this farm and learn how to kind of better take care of themselves. But they were our bosses. So when you see people on the street sometimes, we think they can't really do anything. But those people were my bosses for an entire week, showing me how to take care of a farm. They got a lot of skills and things. So we went to the boardwalk in Santa Cruz. We did a lot of fun things. Can I show you some pictures from it? Yeah? Okay. So if you look over here, I'm going to show a short video of, of some of the things that we did there. Okay?
one day you're going to get to go on a trip like that, and you're going to get to see and do all those fun things too. Can I tell you one of my favorite parts of the trip is we throw a pizza party for that boys and girls club I was telling you about. So you know, we're going to feed over 100 kids at one time. That's a lot of pizza. We, buy, we bought 30 pizzas that were 24 inches, two feet each. And people said, why did you buy so much pizza? Because you know what I think? I think when we get to heaven, God's not going to tell you you only get two slices. God's going to say you can have as much as you want at this pizza party. And you know what else? No offense to Costco, but we don't get Costco pizza. We get Woodstock pizza, which is the best pizza in Santa Cruz. Because you know what else? When we get to heaven, I don't think God's going to give us Costco pizza. I think God's going to give us the best pizza. So in this church, and when the Christians come to give a pizza party, I think we should give people the best and as much as they want of it. So you can do that at home, too, with the things that you do. And that's one of the things that our youth group is going to try to do now. But I want to, I know many of you noticed that my, one of our unicorns is here today. In two more Sundays, we are, our high schoolers are leaving to go to San Diego. And what we would love is if you have any stuffed animals that you don't use anymore, we would love it if you'd give them to us. Because we're going to take them with us to the border between America and Mexico. We're going to the border. And it's just to raise awareness that some children have been separated from their families. And we want people to remember them and to remember to pray for them and to think about them and to care about them and not to forget them. So we would invite all of you, if you have any stuffed animals at home that you, again, I want to be clear, we're not giving these to children. We're simply putting them on the wall uh, with a sign for what it's for. Uh, I talk, we, Janet Rage brought this up to my attention this past week, and then I talked it over with some of our students and leaders. And we thought about, you know, is this political? We thought, well, you know, how we resolve this problem is political. We want to bring attention to the fact that we should be in prayer for these families regardless. So if you have any stuffed animals that we can have, we would love to take them with us. And my friend Hefe here will be in Finley Hall. Uh, and you only have one Sunday to do this, I'm sorry. So, or you can always drop them off at the church anytime. We'll be here in Finley Hall, and you can put all the stuffed animals right by him and then we will take them with us. In the meantime, let's go to our class. You can follow my friend Grayson right there. Let's go. Now is the time in worship when we share our prayers with each other, our prayers for our community, for our world. So if you have a joy or concern to share, just raise your hand and let us know. Nancy. Amen. To use what she said, prayers for the soul of our nation. Amen. Peter? So, Ted, okay, with, uh, with cancer, not responding to treatment right now and continuing to try other options. Yeah, Tila. So friend Christine with cancer, beginning chemotherapy soon. Then also prayers for the boys in Thailand who, and their rescuers who are currently being rescued right now even. Yeah, yeah Greg. Prayers for the family of his 18-year-old goddaughter recently passed away. Sort of mysterious virus, you said. Prayers for her family and for you as well. Yeah, Lisa. 
you know, so sharing a joy. Rob and Sherry and Steve and Lisa and their families were at a family camp in Tahoe, Zephyr Point, last week. Rob actually was serving as chaplain, and it sounds like they are now ambassadors for this family camp, <laughs> encouraging the rest of us to attend next summer. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely. First for Pat's husband, who has a heart, had a heart incident on Friday, is home with a heart monitor. Oh my goodness, so many. Diane, and then... Prayers for son Mark and other first responders who are at fires across the state and for those evacuees as well. Lynn? So first prayers for your friend Joe, who lost both parents to a fire recently. And then on July 16th at SFTS, the seminary, you're going to be writing for peace. So 7 a.m., writing for peace, specifically in Pakistan. And then, yeah, hell. So Hale, who is retired from the Department of Health and Human Services, prayers for that department. Sounds like prayers also for for the children. Absolutely. Peter. Absolutely. So last week we celebrated our new pew cushions, but in case you weren't here, big thank you to Rod and Trisha Farrow who made that happen. <laughs> we, we can celebrate pew cushions every Sunday. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's have a few moments of quiet and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you hear our prayers, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us.
The scripture reading today is 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 and 9 to 10. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Now look, we are your bone and flesh. And for some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be the shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be the ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was only 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. David built the city all around, from Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord of the God of hosts was with him. This is holy word, holy wisdom. Thanks be to God. From a reading about David, who was known for his slightness, and yet he became king, to a reading from Paul, who speaks about the possibility of weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 to 10, listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Now, in Pauline fashion, I should warn you, it's confusing for about the first four lines, but those of you who are still listening will get something near the end. (laughs) Don't let those cushions put you to sleep. Paul writes, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, I told you, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I saw the documentary on children's television pioneer, Mr. Rogers, called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Many of you may have seen this as well. If you liked it, I would encourage you to check out um, a documentary called Mr. Rogers and Me, which I think is even better if you're interested. Uh, For two Presbyterian ministers, there's no hotter date than going to see another documentary about another Presbyterian minister. (laughs) I'm sure we're the only ones in the theater. A colleague of ours was featured, and we're doing this, you know. (laughs) 
Even if you didn't grow up with the program, my guess is most of us have a sense of that children's show, which was quite revolutionary, actually. But do you know how it all began? It began in a moment of weakness. I mean that literally, as you'll find out. Mr. Rogers delayed his seminary education, actually, to go into television because he was distraught at what he was seeing on this new medium. All children's programming was slapstick comedy, pies and faces and laughing at people falling down. And he thought, what an awful opportunity missed and what a, a terrible thing to think that the only way to relate to children is by demeaning other people in front of them. And so he rushed in to fill that void. And when he got his start, uh, he was simply using other footage, but there was a weakness in that approach, quite literally. The tape that he got was very thin, and so it would often break when they would play it. And they needed to fill the time. And so Mr. Rogers filmed the time with little puppet characters. And there in that moment was born many of the characters that later came to occupy the neighborhood of make-believe, characters such as Daniel Stripe Tiger and the rest. Well, there was another weakness at the beginning of it all, even farther back in time. It was Mr. Rogers' own weakness. Little Freddie Rogers was a sickly boy and spent a lot of his time growing up in bed alone. He caught everything imaginable. And it was there that he had to learn to entertain himself. And that's where he honed to perfection the art of storytelling as he spent hour after hour in bed, sick. A lot of power came out of that weakness. We tend to talk about this passage from Paul's writing in those terms, lifting up the possibility of weakness in this world. And there's inspiration in that. Christians love to quote Leonard, Co Leonard Cohen, the great songwriter, who says the cracks are where the light comes in. Or those with less musical tastes just stick with Paul, who says my power is made perfect in weakness and my grace is sufficient in you. And there's something right about that something that's probably uplifting to those of us who feel weak at certain times, that God can do something great out of those things that we perceive as weak, that God can make something beautiful, that can bless the world, even through the places we feel most insecure. Weakness has its merits. Weakness can remind us of our dependence on God and our interdependence on one another, our dependence on this creation to give us food and clean air to breathe and water to drink. Weakness can humble us when we need to be put back in our place and reminded who we are and who we aren't. Weakness can cause us to be reflective. You fall short or you don't accomplish what you want and you stop and think, well, how could I have done that better? Or what could I learn that would help me grow? Where could I improve or become stronger? There's something really right about that. And yet, if I'm honest, I have to say I'm a little troubled by that interpretation, or at least that interpretation when it's left alone. I have no problem when people testify about their own experience of the Spirit kind of coming into their life and doing something out of a weak spot. I think that's what Paul is doing. He's speaking out of his experience and what he believes God did for him in that weak spot. And that's powerful coming from someone like Paul. Paul was a man. He was educated. He was an expert in Jewish law, and he was a Roman citizen. It doesn't get much better than that. And so for him to talk about weakness as a powerful experience is wonderful. Where it becomes tricky is when people like Paul are read to be telling other people that their weakness is a gift from God. And you can see where I'm going. That when people who are made to be weak by systems or other people, when they're told, oh, their weakness is a gift and they should relish in that, well, then that becomes not preaching but abuse. 
And so I think maybe there's more to it than that. You see, weakness is actually not the gift of the passage. We miss it if that's what we think it is. Grace is the gift. Grace is the gift. The foundation of Reformed theology. Paul understands God to be saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And if weakness is the occasion for it to show up, so be it. But you know, Paul recognizes that grace shows up in strengths too. Paul is not a theologian of weakness. He's a theologian of gifts, of strengths. If you read Paul's writings and those writings attributed to Paul that he probably didn't write, Many of them are just filled with moments where Paul is recognizing the various spiritual gifts of the people, and they're different. They're all different. What's his guiding image? It's the body. And different gifts of each part of the body coming together to make a whole. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but there's an assessment tool that people take, employers give, often called strength finders. Does that ring a bell for anyone? It's like many of the assessment tools you may think of, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or the others, and it's simply meant to help you get to know yourself a little bit and to know uh, your natural inclinations and the way you relate to other people and the way you do work. And what I love about strength finders as the name suggests, is that it focuses on what you're good at and what you're naturally inclined toward. It recognizes that so often we put all our time into improving where we're weak, and it basically understands that we actually don't make much progress working on our weaknesses. So rather than waste all our energy on that, let's lean into our strengths. But what's embedded in that is the understanding that someone else will be there to compensate. Right? It's a communal good, and it recognizes that all of life is a communal good. Whether it's, it's your, your, the community is the family, that there'll be complementary strengths to work, or maybe your workplace, or your neighborhood, or some board you're on, or the wider community, that all these strengths come together, and they need everybody's different strength to make something truly strong as a body is again where Paul points. And do we remember that all the time? I wonder. As you heard earlier, we just got back from a wonderful week at family camp. Registration is January 1 for next year. (laughs) And uh, among all the many things, including enjoying each other's different gifts, I had a very inspiring speaker who who really... uh, is someone who you could say put his money where his mouth is or his faith uh, where his faith, I've lost the metaphor. He really lived out his Christian calling. This is a guy who's been all across the world. He's been to Pakistan. He's been to Israel, Palestine. He's been arrested. uh, All kinds of really dramatic ways of living out his faith in a very literal way. Came out of an evangelical upbringing, has been cast out even by his family, for being too political or too liberal or whatever bad term they want to apply to him. But for him, it is about following Jesus Christ and he is living it out. And boy, is that inspiring to see. Many people left feeling charged up to do something with their life. And yet there was this undercurrent beneath, not intended, of course, but that came up in some of the discussions of people would say, well, in a manner of speaking, while you're getting arrested, who's raising the children? And what if I can't take the days off to go get arrested, Well, and, and I need my job because I'm supporting several other people, what about me? And what if I'm just not in the life stage, or I don't have that kind of energy, or gifts, or resources to do that? Am I not faithful to Jesus? He didn't say that, but... It was easy to feel that, to feel that there was kind of only one model for following Christ. And the gift of Paul is that he recognizes that there is a place for everyone in whatever season and circumstance you're in. In fact, we need you to be where you are, living out a Christ-like life, where you are with what you have. One of the realities of working in the church is you tend to work uh, with a lot of people who are senior in age. 
And so often there's a sadness there that people will say, I feel like I can't do anything and I have nothing to offer because I don't quite have the energy I did before and I may not have the resources. But you know what? Some of the people who I have known who are most plugged into God prayerfully are those who are our elders. And to sideline that gift, what a tragedy. I happen to believe the world is held up by prayer. I've seen somebody in this room pray someone back to life, and that's not an exaggeration. And so wherever you are, with what kind of uh, resources you have available to you, you have the ability, just as much as anyone else on the front lines, to be a servant and a leader and a part of this mystical body. Hafiz has this wonderful image. It's on the cover of your bulletin, so you don't have to write it down. But he says, I am a hole in the flute where the Christ breath moves through. Listen to the music. Now, at first we think, well, that's just a, uh, that's just a statement about you know, sort of being open and weak and having nothing to you because what is a hole but a weakness in the wood or the metal? But that's not what makes the flute. The flute is all of it coming together. The strong parts and the openings. The strong parts and the weak parts. And they have to be arranged just so and everybody needs to be just in place for music to come out. We don't need all mouthpieces. We don't need all holes. We don't need all hard-headed wood. We need them all. Mr. Rogers would have understood this. He was a music composition major. And most of the music you hear in the show, he wrote, so he knew the importance of both the strength of a hammer and the givingness of a string on a piano. And we tend to associate Mr. Roger with weakness. We wouldn't call it weak. We would say gentle, but really we depict him as meek and mild and a little bit silly for it. He wore his mother's sweaters, for goodness sake, as an adult. <laughs> but just like Paul, you can miss the power of him and the fierceness of him. What he did took great moral courage, even if he wrapped it in gentleness. Uh, remember what was happening when he was filming his show. There was a time in this country, some of you remember it, when black children and white children, African Americans and Caucasians, weren't to be swimming together in some people's minds. And you can see footage in the documentary of an angry white man dumping pool chemicals into a pool where there are African American children swimming to get them out. So what did Mr. Rogers do in his show? He decided to have an episode on a really hot day. And he rolled up his pant legs and he took off those sneakers and he set them aside and he cooled his feet in a kiddie pool. And who does he have come by but an African-American man who he happened to cast as a police officer? If we think our tensions between African-American men and police are bad now, Remember then, so he casts him as a police officer, and he says, isn't it hot, and wouldn't you like to cool your feet? And before long, the two are sitting, swimming together in front of millions of children to show that it's okay. And it's not done there, because what happens afterwards is the police officer, ready to get back to work, he starts to dry off his feet, and Mr. Rogers stops him and says, let me help. And if you have eyes to see, you see Mr. Rogers on his knees washing the feet of a black man. Now that's real weakness, which is real power. It doesn't stop there. The very first week of his show, 67, I think, maybe 68, King Friday, one of his puppet characters, who's king of the territory of neighborhood of make-believe, doesn't like how the world is changing and it's getting away from him and he doesn't like the change makers and he's afraid that he's losing his way of life. So what does he do? You remember? He builds a wall around his kingdom. Keep them out. Keep it the way he likes it. And people on the other side start sending balloon messages over the wall that say things like love and coexistence, all messages of neighborliness. 
And that moves King Friday. They're teaching King Friday about what Sunday's going to look like. The strong, strong man. We sort of laugh at his theme song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? You know it probably, but think of the power of that statement. There are no qualifiers. Anybody can be his neighbor. And furthermore, he says, I like you just the way you are. Now, I used to have trouble with that statement because I thought, don't people need to change? I can point them out. Who needs to change? (laughs) No, I'm probably one of them. And it's not that he affirms people have gotten this wrong about him, poor behavior or meanness or anything, but I think what Mr. Rogers understood is that relationship precedes transformation. If it's going to go well, change is better uh, going to follow real relationship that's non-judgmental. And then we will all grow into our better selves. I like you just the way you are. You don't have to qualify to be my neighbor. Neighborliness is not just some children's television show. It is the heart of the gospel. New uh, Old Testament writer, uh, scholar Walter Brueggemann says, neighborliness is the primary virtue and theme of the Bible. It's all about learning how to be a neighbor. This is what he says. The vision of God is not a vision of accumulation and monopoly so that those who have the most when they die win. This vision of God's future is not about angels who have gone to heaven floating around in the sky with their loved ones. This vision, rather, is about God's kingdom coming on earth as it already is in heaven. God's rule were the practices of justice and mercy and kindness and peaceableness are every day the order of the day. It is a vision of the world as a peaceable neighborliness in which no one is under threat, no one is at risk, no one is in danger because all are safe, all are valued, all are honored, and all are cared for. And this community of peaceableness will come only when the vicious cycles of violent accumulation are broken. So the question for us is, can we muster enough strength and enough weakness to say to the other, won't you be our neighbor?
You may be seated. I invite you to take a look at the bulletin to see what is happening here in the life of the church. Just to highlight a couple of things, we're looking to make sure our database is updated. If your contact information has changed, especially if an email address has changed, if you could send a quick message to Diane in the church office, she would appreciate that. Uh, We're starting a new class on Wednesday mornings. Jeff and I have titled it Praying Outside the Box. Basically, we're going to look at ways to pray other than perhaps just sitting quietly with our hands folded. So many ways to pray. We're going to be looking at that the next several Wednesdays. But lots going on. Check out your bulletin and get involved where it makes sense for you. I invite you now to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 548. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.